your chest hurts, and you, and you have deep sadness. Uh, it's really the easiest way for me to explain grief. And uh, this little guy is going to help me act out grief a little later. But first I want to tell you a story about my childhood. So when I was growing up, my grandma and my aunt would always tell me to quote a Bible verse. Typically, that would go something like this. Hey, can you pass the cornbread? They'd say, yes, but first, quote a Bible verse. And I'm like, okay, well, Jesus wept. I always quoted Jesus wept because it's only two words. And so that's the shortest Bible verse in the Bible. And um, honestly, it's the only one I could remember, if I'm being honest. So if you ever have to quote a Bible verse, know that Jesus wept. But as I grew up and I got older, my aunt started asking me, well, why did Jesus weep? And I would respond, because you ain't letting him get no cornbread. Now, the reality of it is that Jesus wept uh, because he feels the pain of you and I. And I'll explain that in a minute as we talk about the story for today. So, uh, today, we're going to be talking about where Jesus weeps at the grave of Lazarus, one of his close friends, after Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, go and send people out to get Jesus. So Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, you know, probably performing miracles and having a good time as always. And at that time, they're like, hey, the one that you love, he's sick. And so Jesus, uh, he takes a few days and then he reaches where Lazarus was. At that time, Lazarus is already dead. Uh, Mary and Martha are very upset with Jesus and they're saying, hey, like if you would have been here, you could have changed this. Things would have been different. Um, and I think a lot of times we can feel that way when we're hurting, when we're grieving, uh, when we're sad. We think, God, like, why didn't you change this? And that can hurt and push us away from God. However, uh, what I see in, in the moments after that where Jesus weeps at the, at the gravesite, like this little guy, just tearful, just in it, uh, is that <laughs> Jesus wept with Mary and Lazarus sorry, Mary and Martha over Lazarus' death, not because he was dead, but because he felt the pain that they were feeling. And I know that because Jesus, being God, already knew he was going to bring him back to life. So he wasn't weeping over the death as much as he was weeping over the shared pain. And so that lets me know that anytime that we're hurting, our feelings are hurt, we're sad, Jesus is in that moment with us. He wants to comfort us. So just like this little guy, if you saw him crying and, and weeping, you'd be like, hey, buddy, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to make it through it. And in the same way, God wants to pull us in in those moments of grief and pain, and he wants to say, it's okay. You're going to make it through it. But we have to first go to God. Don't let grief push you away from God, because at the end of the day, no one loves you more than Jesus. Not your mom, your dad, your favorite cousin, because everyone has a favorite. I don't care what you tell me. I know who my favorite is. Anyways, but Jesus always wants to be in the moment with you, no matter what it is. And especially when you're grieving, he wants you to turn to him. Remember, at the end of the day, he loves you more than anybody. And he displayed that on the cross. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus wanted to display his love for us, he said, I love you this much. And he held his arms out and he kept them there. And they nailed him to the cross. And because of that love, we're able to be with him and God forever. And that's how we know that he would do anything for us, including being that hard moment. Now, like I said before, grief a lot of times pushes us away from people and away from God. When I was younger, I would hide in my room. I'd stomp off, close the door, and then I'd be like, I just want to be alone. Sometimes cry in a pillow because, you know, boys don't cry. You feel me. Anyways, 
So I would cry on a pillow, uh, but I would want to be alone. But that wouldn't make me feel better. What would truly make me feel better is when I allowed my brother or my cousin to come into the room and actually talk through my pain with me. That's when I would be able to get past the thing that was hurting me so deeply. And sometimes it didn't change my circumstance or what was going on around me, but it just changed the way I felt about it. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to step into the room, wherever we are, when we're hurting and when we're crying, and he wants to say, hey, I understand. It's hard. And I understand this may not change for you. But he wants to give us the strength that we need to keep going. And at the same time, we need to look to our friends and our family to do the same thing. We have to rely on the people that God has put in our lives so that we can get past. Hey, thank you guys for coming to this children's sermon. Have a good time. Good morning. Glad to see you all here. Samuel did a beautiful job in that children's sermon, and I really just kind of want to say amen after Stephen and Helen's song, and that I'm like, we don't need to hear from me. But I guess Drew would not be happy with me. Um, so I'm Jean Schneider, the Director of Care and Counseling, and as you have surmise that we are talking about grief and we're talking about knowing that we have security in Jesus in the midst of grief and of loss. Experts have been calling the year 2020 the year of grief. Would you guys agree with that, that this has been a year of significant loss and grief? Just give me some head nods, because what I realize when I can't see your faces, I need some feedback for some head nods, okay? So, (laughs) or an amen or something. So when we think about that grief, I think Samuel described that really well, that it is that internal pain that we feel And we may experience it in different ways. One of the other things that the experts are saying about this year of grief is that it is a communal. It's a community type of grief because we're all in this together. And so it's different than when you lose someone to death that people are coming to you to share and to witness that grief with you. Whereas in this season, we all are experiencing loss in some way. And it may look different because grief is different for each person. It's a unique experience. And for some, you may be sitting out there going, what are you talking about? I don't feel any grief. Well, I want to challenge that a little bit. You might notice that sometimes you feel maybe just a heaviness. That could be grief talking to you. You might just notice that you feel sadness when you're watching a movie or reading a book that you don't normally feel. Sometimes that's the way our sadness or our grief may come out. Sometimes you may be online or reading news articles because your grief is coming out in anger and you're kind of seeking out a culprit 
to direct your attention toward so that they're the, they're the scapegoat. That's why you're feeling so angry. But really, it may be that you're just not able to face the painful realities of the loss that we're all experiencing. We may try to ignore or minimize the loss. And later today, I'll even talk about that we may sometimes over-identify with it and how to look at that and, and see how to make changes maybe with that as well. So grief, sometimes people want to compare. The number of times that I've heard as a counselor of someone in tears say to me, but my pain isn't as bad as somebody else's. What? Pain is pain. Loss is loss. It doesn't matter how it compares to someone else's. It's your pain, it's your loss, and it's real to you. And so catch yourself if you find yourself wanting to compare yourself to someone else. Be able to recognize that your pain is valid and real. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is a grief expert, if you've taken Psych 101, you probably have heard that name before. And she talks about grief and kind of these five phases. And they are not linear phases. They are just experiences, emotions in which we may experience. And she describes those as denial, Anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And so that's kind of one way, a lens to kind of think through grief. I often use Norman Wright, who's also a a grief expert. He has what he calls the ball of grief emotions. And in this tangled ball, it looks at all the various emotions we may experience when we're going through a loss. And so I think that whatever you might be experiencing, again, to be able to recognize this is, this is real. This is valid. Now, if you're still sitting there thinking, I really haven't experienced any loss, let me just name a few that we might have experienced in the year 2020. We may have lost a sense of connection with one another, a sense of community, may have lost that, that physical touch. I realize how often I touch people. And now that I can't, it really, I feel that loss. Um, that sense of safety of just being out in the world. A sense of security. For some, the sense of financial loss has been very real in the midst of unemployment. The sense of just having that routine and rhythm in life. The hopes and the expectations you may have had for 2020 that may have come to a screeching halt. A sense of loss with your health may have come as a result of the virus. Just a sense of significant milestone events that have maybe had to be significantly changed or postponed. So now are you all with me? That in some of those ways you may have experienced a loss. Now, I've had some people say, well, I've kind of liked being at home more. I'm an introvert, and I like being at home. Okay, but that still doesn't negate the fact that you're experiencing different losses. And I think the important thing is is that this loss is being experienced by people in every age group. 
you know, those with small children and school-age children, you're probably noticing that they're experiencing some losses. They may be acting out in certain ways because they may not always have the words to express the loss of not being at school with friends, not being able to have those regular contacts, or even learning in a way in which was familiar to them. So to keep in mind that that loss is real for all age groups across the gamut right now. And for those that have lost someone to death in this year, it certainly has complicated death because we have missed out on some of those traditional ways that we remember someone. You haven't gotten as many hugs, probably. You haven't been able to maybe have memorial services and funerals where you've marked that person's death in a significant way. Or you've done it virtually, right? So I think it's so important to recognize that those losses may go on for a while, that there isn't a time frame for grief, that we may endure grief for an extended period of time, especially as a result of this year. And to recognize that grief has, is multifaceted, that one loss can have kind of this cascading effect on other areas of our life and continue to create a variety of emotions. So as we look at the scripture for today, I hope that it will be a sense of encouragement, a sense of hope for you. We're going to look at John 11, 17 through 38, as, as Samuel mentioned in the children's sermon. And it's a familiar passage. We often know that that's, that's one of Jesus' incredible miracles when he raises Lazarus from the dead. But we're going to kind of look at what happens prior to Jesus performing this incredible miracle. So let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that we can come to you. That, Lord, that you are our ever help in times of trouble. That you are our comfort. And, Lord, I just pray your anointing upon the words spoken today, God. I pray that those that are listening, that, God, that you would just speak to their hearts and bring a comfort to them. That, God, that they would know that you are there, that you are present with them even when they may not experience you in the way in which they desire. So, Father, just bring your anointing to the words spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we look at the words, on his arrival, I'm going to read my version. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Don't miss that. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. I must have read the scripture a hundred times, and honestly, as I was preparing for this, that just so jumped out at me that sense of accompanying one another on grief. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Isn't that amazing? She meets Jesus, the Messiah, and what does she do? She accuses him. Hey, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I love that, right? Because how often do we say things like that? If only, if only, if only. And the if onlys are part of grief. That's part of that grief experience. When I talked about the Elizabeth Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and that bargaining phase, it's often that if only. And I just love that it is so demonstrated here in this scripture. Then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So Martha's faith was strong. She knew who Jesus was. And yet she was kind of ticked off at him, wasn't she? But she knew he was the Messiah. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, comforting Mary, right? Notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Isn't that a beautiful picture of being with someone? That here they are, they're in, in, in the home with Mary. And Mary gets up and they, she, they think she's going to go to the tomb to, to grieve, to mourn. And up they went to follow her out there. Just that beautiful example of being present. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds like Mary and Martha were cut from the same cloth in that way, right? They both accused Jesus. Like, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. Which I just thought was so funny. Again, I mean, it just speaks to our humanness. Come and When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Once again, here we are in our humanness. Couldn't Jesus have done that? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And if you don't know the rest of the story, pick up John 11 and from there this afternoon. But I think this scripture really illustrates that sense of being a companion in grief. That both Jesus being our companion. I love the fact that Mary and Martha ran. They went to him quickly. 
And so often that even in their hearts, obviously, they had some accusations that Jesus could have done something that he hadn't done, and yet they still ran to him. And I think that's one of the most crucial things that as believers in Christ, how do we run to Jesus in those times of grief, those losses that we experience? Because he desires to accompany us in that grief. And we also see how the Jews accompanied Mary and Martha in this time of grief, that they were present. And sometimes, I know over the years, being in in care ministries, I've often heard people say, I don't know what to do when someone has lost a loved one. And I simply just say, be there. There aren't any magic words to say. There aren't any right words that will suddenly bring comfort, but probably the biggest thing that brings comfort, and probably most of you can nod your heads at this, is knowing that people are there with you, that they are present with you. Silence is okay just to be there. You know, James 1.19 says to be what? Quick to listen and slow to speak. I think if there's ever a time when we are to be slow to speak, that it is in a time of grief. To really allow that person to talk and to share as they want to, rather than trying to give some great theological reason to speak to this loss. And when we think about the losses that we're all experiencing, again, we have this communal loss going on right now that it may be a real sense of truly just listening to one another and just allowing people's grief to be witnessed. We know that Second um, Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 tells us that God is, a, is the father of compassion and a God of comfort. And because he comforts us in our troubles that we then can comfort others and theirs by the comfort that we have received from God. And I think that's a beautiful example of reminding us that God does comfort us in our times, not just to comfort us, but so that we can then be a comfort to others. I think one of the key factors when we think about compassion, and Samuel kind of alluded to this in the children's sermon, is that that sense of Jesus being deeply moved. He was troubled. And compassion can be defined as a feeling that arises when you are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. Isn't that a beautiful description of what compassion is? That we want in some way to relieve someone else's suffering. And I think that it was that beautiful example that Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think that was a game day decision. I don't think he said, hey, show me the tomb. And then he stood there and thought, eh, Maybe I'll raise Lazarus from the dead today. This will be fun, right? I don't think Jesus did that. I think Jesus knew from the very beginning 
Because if you remember prior in, in, in John that, you know, people had come to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick. You know, come on, let's go. And Jesus like, I'll get there. I'll get there. You know, so Jesus had a plan all along, which I think is important for us to remember, especially in times of uncertainty. And as we're experiencing all these losses, not to forget that God is still sovereign. I think we need to hold on to that. But so we see that, that Jesus wept, that Jesus was so deeply moved by the fact that, you know, he was grief-stricken. And I wonder, too, have you sat with people in their time of grief and you have felt that that sadness well up inside of you as well? And that also, I think maybe, you know, God was, Jesus was simply angry that he faced the brokenness of life, right? This was not God, death was not the original plan that God put before us. And yet he he stood there in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the sorrow that was being experienced by Mary and Martha and friends and family. And I just wonder, you know, how would your loss change if God were weeping and angry alongside of you about those losses? What would change for you to know that he was your friend that he's in that trench with you. And I think that as we accompany one another in this time of grief and sorrow, that we're probably not going to raise someone from the dead. Although I do believe God can do more than we can ask or imagine. But I think, I think that we can... Really be in the moment with someone, listening, normalizing the grief that they're experiencing, may be just as powerful. It may be just as life-giving to sit with someone like that as resurrecting someone. That that can be so life-giving. That it speaks to people's hearts at the depth of their soul. And I think it's compassion that we see at work in in our current state when we see spouses and children holding signs up at nursing homes for their loved ones to say, I love you. That when we suddenly have parade, drive-by parades of birthdays and graduations, I think it's out of that compassion that we know that people are suffering the loss that they can't experience events in their lives in the way in which they once used to. And yet we see people having that outpour, wanting to do something to relieve another's suffering. That's compassion. And so I think, you know, again, asking yourself how well... Am I showing compassion to others? And I think the other thing we have to ask ourselves is how well are we showing compassion to ourselves? That sometimes we may be unkind to ourselves in the midst of loss and grief. And so being able to kind of really practice that non-judgmental, um, kind responses to yourself 
I often say, you know, how do, how do you recognize that pain is part of a shared human experience? And learning that we are not alone in that human experience of pain, but that for ourselves we become inner allies rather than inner enemies. To be able to acknowledge that you have needs and that you can ask for those needs to be met. Again, often I see this, this, this wave of comparison come in when I hear of someone's need and they're like, well, but you know, if there isn't time or if there isn't resources, you know, people have it worse than I do. You're human after all. You're allowed to have a need and you're allowed to have that need asked to be met. So to be able to know that that's okay, to be kind and compassionate to the way in which you talk to yourself, and that it's okay to lament your pain and your losses. You don't have to keep a smiley face. Nobody will know the difference anyway because you're behind your mask. All right? So it's okay to lament. Lament your losses. When we look at the Psalms, don't we see so much lament? That we see David that just laments and know that it's okay that you are speaking a language of pain and that's all right. I think one of the other important things is, is that in the, in the midst of these losses that, that yes, you're going to feel that grief and that, that come up in a variety of ways, but you may also in a sense have gratitude and sadness. Or you'll feel joy and pain. And recognizing that those emotions can live in the same space. Have you ever been to a funeral memorial service where you cried and you laughed? Often a normal experience because in remembering someone, there are those, those times of joy of remembering and the sadness that they're not going to be with us anymore. And so in, in these losses that, that we're experiencing now to recognize that yes, you can feel gratitude, that you might like some of the changes that may be losses for others, but also recognizing that you have loss as well and that you may feel sad about those things. And so we have choices in this season of grief. And in those choices is often how well do we care for ourselves. And I think it's so crucial to ask yourself, are you drowning out the pain with unhealthy behaviors? You know, when I have people say, eh, I haven't really felt much. I'm not, I haven't noticed any, any loss, any, anything significant. Then I just kind of go to behaviors. Okay, so tell me, um, what's your alcohol intake like these days? Oh, I have been pouring myself an extra glass of wine at night. Oh, really? Hmm. Hmm. I have noticed that I'm ordering more things on Amazon lately of things I don't need or maybe don't even have the resources to, to order. Huh, really? Or I'm hitting the casinos. Or, you know, I'm pulling up images on the computer that uh, are not honoring to to God, to my spouse. Hmm, really? So sometimes I think we we have to ask ourselves and pay attention to what are the behaviors that 
that we may be experiencing that may be in a way trying to drown out the pain that we're, we're, we're experiencing in the moment. So pay attention to behaviors. Pay attention to your, your thought life. I often, you know, I think it's a Brene Brown saying, you know, what's the story you're telling yourself? And sometimes you might be able to express, I feel disappointed, which again is a normal emotion in the, in the midst of loss. But if you're saying to yourself, my entire life is disappointing, um, you may, might want to check that a little bit. Okay. I often say, you know, that's when the train leaves the station. Because when we start thinking like that, the train is gone and you can just spiral downwards in those moments. You know, or maybe you say, you know, recognize that, gosh, sometimes I feel alone. You know, if you're, if you're living alone, or, or I have found people that live with people that still feel like they live alone. Um, but to be able to recognize, I feel lonely. I'm experiencing aloneness, aloneness right now. But if you allow that to go to a space where you say, gosh, I'm alone and I'm nobody, I must be unlovable and no one cares about me. I don't matter. The train has left the station. Okay. And you've got to bring it back and to be able to validate the emotion that you're experiencing without weaving a narrative into it that is not true. And it's easy to weave those narratives that are not true. So pay attention to the narrative that you're saying to yourself in those moments. Um, that we want to focus in on the truth, you know, and to be able to ask yourself, what's the truth? And kind of back to knowing that Jesus is there, that he is the one who will bring peace. He is the one that brings comfort, that you are lovable, and that you have worth and value. Those are all truths that the scripture tells us. And that we can companion one another, and we can remind one another of God's truths of who they are as individuals. But I also, as I was you know, tweaking this and tweaking this, I thought, man, I've got to give a caveat because so many times I've sat in the counseling room with somebody that, has said, that I've heard, I'm so sick of people throwing scriptures at me. You know, I just want to be in pain. And, that's, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it because I think... Scripture has to be thoughtfully well-placed. Because if you're just quoting, you know, Romans 8.28, God works the good for all who love him, and you don't validate and acknowledge that this person is in real pain, that really turns them away from God rather than turning them toward God. So encourage one another in helpful ways. One of the additional um, phases of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five-phase um, grief experience recently has been added by David Kessler, and he calls it make meaning. And that that's the thing that I want you to think about as well, that as we grieve, now you don't jump to this, okay, and ignore all the other emotions you're experiencing, but it's really important that in the midst of loss and grief, 
that you try to find a way to make meaning. You know, you often hear the words creating new normals. And I just laugh at that in the year 2020 because as soon as you think you got a new normal, it's something's closed, something's open, something's this, something's that. So I've given up on trying to create new normals. I'm just like, I'm going with the flow. But I like this make meaning and offer hope. And let me give you a few examples of that. We have a 10-year-old that's part of, of this church, and her mom emailed me recently and said she's really gotten into baking through the pandemic. And we have lots of baked goods every week now, and we would like to be able to share those. Who could I begin to drop off baked goods to? So folks that are listening online that live at Bellwood, um, one of the Landfair Independent Living, they're going to get special treats today from this sweet 10-year-old that's baking and wants to share. She's making meaning. You know, she hasn't been able to do normal things as a 10-year-old child through the summer, through the school year, but she's found a way to have control really over something and now being able to make meaning and bless others who are shut in, who don't have the ability to get out. I think it's beautiful. When I think about the number of cards that people have sent to others in this church, anytime I do a call to, to one of our shut-ins, I hear about the number of cards that they're receiving from you all. And I just think it's so beautiful that it's a way of bringing some kind of hope and meaning. I know Daryl's getting ready that first responders are going to get cookies in a few weeks. And people have the opportunity to bake cookies. And the band of brothers are going to deliver cookies to the first responders throughout our area, all the way to Mount Healthy, I think. Um, So, again, we look for ways to make meaning. And I also want to leave you with that if you are feeling more than just grief, or even if you're just feeling grief, but if there is a sense of depression where you're noticing, I don't want to get out of bed in the mornings anymore, or that you're over or under eating, that your sleep is just totally way off, that you have thoughts of harming yourself. Depression is real. And sometimes in the midst of loss and anxieties, that you need some extra help of people coming alongside of you. So I want to encourage you never to hesitate to reach out to a mental health professional, to your doctor, someone who can come alongside and help you in those ways as well. In the December Bell Tower News, I'll have um, some additional resources for grief, especially through the holidays. And so I hope you'll get one of those here in a couple of weeks and that that might be helpful. Also, for those that are present in your bulletins, you found the Mourner's Bill of Rights. And it's just kind of 10 statements that help remind you of your grief experience and what, 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 what's allowed or what, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. Yes, you are. Grieve in the way in which you need to grieve. So in closing, I just want to remind you that it's the love, it's Christ's love and grief that propelled him to the cross. 
that grief is not a problem to be fixed, but to experience. That we can reach out to Christ who accompanies us in our time of grief and that he is our hope and he empowers us to accomplish those things that we think otherwise impossible. And I want to leave you with Hebrews 4.15, and this is from the message. We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, but all but sin. So let's walk right up to him. Get what he's ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Amen.